When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Voice of Reason podcast. Today's guest is Carl Benjamin, a.k.a. Sargon Vakad, a incredibly prolific and influential YouTuber who uh, focuses on politics and the contentions between the left and the right. In this conversation, we delve into the modus operandi of liberalism versus continental philosophy, how communism and um, liberty-centric ideologies are in contention over the public sphere, and you know, go deeper than that, trying to fish around for the uh, underlying axioms and virtues that are motivating uh, certain censorious and uh, utopian mindsets that are in conflict with other mindsets that embrace freedom and individual autonomy. This is quite a deep diving conversation. It was wonderful to have Carl Benjamin on and I'm proud to have spoken with him. So here is the episode. You're notable in several different ways. One, I admire you just for the sheer uh, cojones you have, but also you're you're incredibly prolific. Um, But one thing that keeps on happening to you, and it's happened to me too and other creators, is you you keep on getting... uh, whacked by these major companies. Uh, like a year ago, a year and a half ago, Patreon kicked you off and, and you've had problems with YouTube. And I kind of want to know why you're so dangerous or why why are you so threatening uh, to these companies? Um, I think it's because uh, I am directly critical of the moral atmosphere of their companies. I don't think they're as moral as they think they are. And I think that that is interpreted as something harmful, and I disagree. I'm I'm a lot more Aristotelian uh, than I am Platonic, and I would say they're a lot more Platonic than they are Aristotelian, I guess, if I was to boil it down to its most basic elements. Mm. And so I think that virtue is, a mor- you know, morality is determined by what you do, and they think that morality is determined by what you believe. And I think that these two positions are actually incompatible because that one one makes the other justified essentially uh, and I think that they're doing it in reverse and I think they're doing it the wrong way and I think that's why we have such problems with leftist philosophy and mass murder and it's not that I think they're going to mass murder people it's just mm. I don't think taking the same approach is in fact the right thing to do I think that morality it should be determined procedurally whereas they have a conceptual version of morality they for example they'll say well uh, if if women only earned uh, three quarters as much as men earned therefore there is a problem but that doesn't follow in my opinion because i think that the 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 way that women earn their money and the way that men earn their money that is how the money itself is justified the re- the end result is the the product of a presupposition on their part that men and women are exactly the same but anyone who knows anything about the subject will go through and say well hang on a second men work about 15 20 percent more hours a year uh well, a week but obviously over the year than women therefore why wouldn't they earn more money it would be, actually be strange if they still earned the same but that doesn't matter because reasons hmm. so that's but but what 
what I'm proposing is dangerous to a philosophy that's built that way because I've just undercut their entire position. It's actually unreasonable to expect men and women to have the same at the end. So anyone who's come along and said, well, men are earning more than women, therefore women are being oppressed, is obviously ridiculous. That person is, that their position has been totally undercut. That can't be the case. You wouldn't infer that given the premises. So they've started with a faulty conclusion and are trying to find an inductive reason why to find that. And I think that I'm breaking those reasons. And I think that's what makes me a problem, ultimately. Um, I'm also, I'm also um, uh, someone who enjoys himself, uh, who, who makes jokes online. And some of my mm. jokes have landed me in trouble. But that the, the reason my jokes have landed me in trouble is because I'm going after the sacred cows with them. Um, that's essentially it, I think. And it's because I haven't apologized for offending these people because I don't think I've done anything wrong. Isn't uh, your your way in the world is through talking? So you're you're basically yes. engaging with people verbally, and that that's basically what you're doing in the world. Uh, yes, is wrangling with beliefs. So how does how do your beliefs form procedurally when what you're basically doing is just talking about beliefs? How do you how do you uh, justify and see the reality of your beliefs when you're just in this flux of? Uh, well, Are I you mean, you're not. You're not really. It's your actions that you're being determined by. But I mean, you can you can tell a person by their actions. Usually, the way they deal with money, in fact, is a really good indicator. If they pay their debts, pay their bills, you know, are generous in themselves, you can see the virtue. And that's actually something that's quite easy to do online because it's actually very easy to move money around. But obviously, as you say, you know, when you're sat behind a desk and you're just talking to people via the internet, it's very difficult to show that you're virtuous. But I'm not. I'm not claiming that I am virtuous either. By the way. Uh, you know, I'm just claiming that I think mm. this is a, a more moral way to approach things. And obviously in my daily life, I do try to be as virtuous as possible. But like, it's, it's it, you know, it's just it's something that most people have got figured out because they've just got their, their lives worked out and they get on with things. And they live good and decent lives. But, um, but yeah, no, I'm not saying that in, it is necessarily. But, I mean, there are ways. Like, you know, being charitable, being polite. And I've not always done this. You know, I'm not saying that. Like I said, I'm not claiming to be the virtuous person. I'm just saying like it's uh, it hmm. seems to be a better method and we end up with a better consequence, a better result if we approach it through this method rather than the other method. How do you think but, that these uh, uh, Aristotelians, as you call them, are these people who hmm. – uh, or no, I'm sorry, the, the Platonists then or hmm. people who base their, uh, their values on a belief system rather than a way of behaving – how do you think they, well, we, they we, gotten... we can we can sorry to sorry to no. interrupt. We we can actually define them very uh, specifically in in terms that we don't have to uh, use uh, the vague. Um, the continental uh, enlightenment thinking has always been distinctly collectivist from the French Revolution across the Marx across the fascists, and it's hmm. it's a product of certain per types of thought in certain periods of time. Uh, I come from the British tradition, the British liberal tradition that starts in England and then is exported to the colonies and then to the American Revolution. So uh, that's that's a completely different trajectory. Uh, and so that's that's where I find myself compared to the continentals. So I, I would personally use the term like the English liberals versus continentals. Continentals, you could call them socialists, I suppose. Would you be able to, on the fly, give like the basic axioms of uh, the English British liberal uh, versus the continental? Yes. Yes. The 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 focus the the focus of it primarily 
is that government's power should be limited. That's the cardinal rule, because the the entire thing is predicated on property. And the, the basic idea is that you are your own property and you own yourself. Mm-hmm. And so the government's ability to dispose of you is limited because you are actually the person in control of yourself. That's what freedom is. Um, the continentals, uh, it seems to me that there's actually a distinction between freedom and liberty, because liberty oh, okay. seems to be something that must be constructed. Uh, there's famously um, in the social contract, Rousseau said, and I, I always, this, this phrase always really, I mean, I love Rousseau's writing, but this phrase was always just like, we will force them to be free. And I always thought that's interesting because <laughs> freedom is necessarily <laughs> the absence of force, is it not? You know, it sounds like, like so, the George W. Bush uh, uh, foreign policy. Well, right, and then and then you see, the, uh, but fr- and it's fr- I think it's from this root, this difference of the the sort of freedom versus liberty difference, and th- this is something I've just been playing around. With. I've never really articulated it like this before, but I think it's relative, relevant. I think it's from this you get the different uh, aspects, and you can see the difference. Like in France, they have a uh, a bureau, a government bureau that deals with the French language officially deals with the French language. And so they have recently decided that coronavirus is female. So it's la coronavirus in French rather than la coronavirus. And I'm just thinking, like, this forced them to be free as if there is an an authority that can decide that. But a free society would, I mean, language is the product of people just using words that they need to express terms. You can't have a top-down view of language that does... I mean, that's so authoritarian in my, to me, that's, I I find that tyrannical. (laughs) I'll use the words I want, thank you. And I'll mean them to mean what I want them to mean, you know, and and it's in, this just shows you the sort of worldview difference. You know, you couldn't do that in the English speaking world, but you can do that in the French speaking world. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's the primary philosophical difference in the enlightenment that I think that we're wrangling with today, because all of the English speaking countries are having real problems with socialism and socialists and just listen to the words that come out of the mouth the, the obviously marx lenin whoever you know like kropotkin at the most you know balmy ends of it and they they use phrases like no passeran it's like why Wait. would you not be able to articulate this no passeran no passage what's it's, uh, from, oh, okay uh, it's an anti-fast slogan that they've adopted. I think it was from the Spanish Civil War. I think it's uh, Spanish, uh, where where you know the the anarchists were fighting the the fascists. Um, but it's it's all very alien to the sort of English speaking tradition because th- people don't understand the difference in the worldviews. And the English language itself, just the way that we think, has baked in assumptions and differences. Yeah. Like the structure of the sentences is different, the, uh, the, you know, the gendering of certain words, and allocation of blame as well is different. It, English is famously the language that places blame quickest, but then if you're an individualist, if you have an individualistic worldview and you don't believe that the state has the authority to dispose of you as it pleases, you are the one who's responsible for what you do. And so naturally you would want to find who is to be held accountable for what has happened as quickly as possible. So it, it, all of these things, I know that this all sounds like, oh, this all sounds a bit like airy or something, but I think there is tangible differences here. And I think mm-hmm. that's what they come down to. I hope that answered the question now. What's I've now the, got to, I can't remember what <laughs> Sorry. What's the, my own world. What's the limiting principle of these two views? Uh, let's say America 
ran with a certain worldview and is now right. i could we could argue captured by this other worldview and europe the continent continental europe ran with these ideas and where where do these two ideas end up when when they're applied to the society at large well and are they necessarily the, at conflict when they get to the societal level these two yeah, competing yes societies? yes there is necessarily a conflict um because in the in the continental view the state has license to enter almost every facet of one's life. But in the English view, the state is there to protect your life, your freedom, and your property. Uh, so that's it. You know, so the this is, the, I mean, it, this is why in the English-speaking countries, it, the coronavirus lockdown felt really strange, right? Hmm. It, was, it was very, very um, uh, encouraged in Europe, but it was very weird over here. And, and the, the Celtic nations in Britain are very much European thinking in this regard in some ways as well, actually. Uh, don't, don't chew me out, my Celtic bros. Um, <laughs> uh, but they, they, they actually kind of are, you know, and it's um, and, and so it goes really against what the mandate of the state is to tell a business owner he has to shut his business for yeah. no reason other than the public health, you know, the some greater good. Um, and so, yeah, the, there is there are tangible differences there. is there uh like with world war ii uh america was basically conscripted by the government to fight in this war so do you yeah. do you think that that was justified then do you think that there there's a time where collectivism there, there should is. rule and how yeah, do you well, know what that time is individualism is a product of safety that's what it's a product of it's a product of a society that is not in imminent danger of being taken out um and if Nazi Germany invades the rest of Europe, then yes, in times of dire need, you will indeed um, have to become authoritarian. You know, the, the, the government will have to set in motion, especially with the scale of war now as well. Uh, you know, wars, wars can take up entire countries, entire continents now. Um, so yeah, there is obviously a justification there. You, you can't really argue with it. Necessity is as necessity is. But you'll notice that the Western, you know, the Western countries liberalized afterwards. We didn't maintain that kind of authoritarian regime. Whereas in the East, things hardly uh, became like the communists promised the utopia will be, did it? Mm -hmm. So that's that's it's... why I think that we have the superior perspective on these things as well. It's, it's interesting that the Nazi rhetoric really stepped up when the authoritarians, the modern day authoritarians that are uh, operating under the guise of progressivism began to make their big moves. That It became more and more acceptable. And maybe maybe I'm misconstruing things because the internet's the internet and that's it's kind of a meme in and of itself to, to call your uh, opponents a Nazi. But it really seemed that that rhetoric w came at the same time that a lot of justifications for authoritarianism began to take place within the academy and within certain very huge private businesses uh i mean i don't i don't know about the timing necessarily but um i think the seeds of it have been placed for quite some time uh, because you'll notice that people um in Britain, Britain's hate crime law, in fact, Scotland's hate crime laws are a great example of this. Britain has hate crime laws, and they're, they're bad enough. But they're not as bad as the new ones that are being proposed by the Scottish National Party, which ironically is actually now the Scottish International Party. But uh, anyway, I don't get that. But the, the, the point is, they are, they're concerned with um, possible incitement to action. And 
that this is being extended because in, in in common law we don't have any and every english speaking country is a common law country in fact common law is another great example of the differences between the continent and britain uh, england specifically uh, the english common law is actually the servant of the regular man it doesn't the the authority is actually not from the king which is why england was the first country in europe to make the king follow what ostensibly were his own laws but um, obviously this is graduated to understanding that the law, the, the sovereignty is in the people themselves, not just the sovereign. But, um, but the, in France you have the inquisitorial system where the state is actually conducting uh, it on its own behalf. Whereas in Britain, the judge is a neutral arbiter between two parties in civil law. Um, and so the, the Christ, what was the question again? Sorry, I keep going off these tangents. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was tangenting with there's you. There's a lot you've got to, got to pull together because it was. Yeah. Why? Why are they becoming authoritarian now? Wasn't it? Yeah. Right. Well, and, and it's because basically, I guess, the, the, we can we can really root it in why are these major companies that are benefiting from, right. let's say, uh, a form of capitalism, let's say Google, YouTube, mm -hmm. Facebook, uh, they become so big, and then all these institutions, including the academy, are now now captured by this system right. that, for, that seems for, alien right, yeah. to the founding principles yeah. that got them up and running. Yeah, it, it absolutely is alien to the United States and its founding principles. You're completely right. Uh, the problem is they have no good defense against it because it's fundamentally predicated on their own axioms, which is freedom. These are just expanded. Uh, freedom to what? Well, freedom to everything, according to the communists. The whole point of communism is to end the nuclear family, it's to end private property, and to have and essentially as few people dependent on any kind of bond or requirement as possible hmm. and that in my in my opinion is probably highly undesirable i think that you are looking at the end of the family if you can achieve a state where because if you look at what human human relationships are all done through some form of necessity and if you destroy necessity then you destroy human okay. relationships do you um, think that, that the theoretical destruction of necessity necessitated the move to destroy any sort of uh family bonds could you walk us through how how you get to communists oh, well, want to kill the family like that statement like no 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 they don't want to kill people or anything uh but they they, they do end up doing that, it but <laughs> sure but that's not what they're aiming at yeah <laughs> they they're just continentals um hmm. so uh the, the liberal view of the state and society is there's a difference between the state and society. But the communist view is that there shouldn't be a state. And so what they want to do is effectively um, remove any form of oppression. They're looking for liberation, right? They're looking – in Marx's view, it's the liberation of the working class against the, the bourgeois oppressors yeah. and to eventually make everyone working class – and the, the liberal view is actually to try and make everyone bourgeois. <clears throat> but the, the, the communist can't, dis, can't justify any kind of hierarchy or class structure. The antithesis of communism is any kind of uh, hierarchical structure. Um, obviously, George Orwell is pointing out an animal farm. Well, look, the people in, put in power to destroy any kind of class structure become the new class. Uh, it's not possible. Jordan Peterson's making. Sorry, I've got a frog in my throat. That's fine. <coughs> um, Jordan Peterson. That Peterson yeah, is Jordan, so strongly reacted to, or was during his. Heyday. Oh, 
Absolutely, because this is the very core of their philosophy that he's going against. He's saying, look, hierarchies are not always oppressive. A lot of the time they're justified. A lot of the time people want hierarchies. People are looking for people to follow. And the the uh, the idea of hierarchies in, in animals is older than trees. You know, it's it's yeah. ancient. And it's, you know, it's, it's 350 million years or something. And obviously, you know, obviously, every, anyone can look at any, like any pets they've had, any kind of animals in a group, and they can see a hierarchy. Humans are no different, you know, unless we think that somehow we're not evolutionary and we're a product of, you know, divine revelation, uh, magical creation or something. But, um, but obviously humans are the same. And But this is the worst thing a communist can hear, because from the communist perspective, all men are not only equal, they should all be as equally free in every regard. Because... I mean, there's a part of me that's starting to kind of dislike the Enlightenment and the claims that it makes for itself, because they're mm. so lofty. They're so lofty. It's, oh, well, everything can be done from reason. The will itself, you know, the will, we can essentially free our wills yeah. to be these, you know, magical brains that exist beyond our bodies. And it's like, but our brain is a product of our body. You know, it's, yeah. there's no escaping the material nature of what a human is. And so trying to disconnect our reason and our personalities from this is actually a ludicrous and it's a fool's errand it's, it's totally ludicrous it's not going to happen but anyway yeah the, the communists are effectively trying to make it so that we can will anything we want and this means that all barriers have to be broken down but this is a problem because i mean like all bar all all of our relationships are built on necessity you have friends because you want to have friends you need to have friends. you need a social life you're a, you're a human being you need comfort from other people this is why the lockdown is such a problem there are so many people freaking out because there's a bunch of lonely singleton millennials who don't have anyone you know they don't have families and so they're upset and the rates of depression are skyrocketing at the moment what's also skyrocketing well people not getting married that's totally you know the, these things i think are all connected together and i think it is essentially the communist effect on society that's happening where these things are, are breaking apart but this is this is why they're in favor of social programs. This is why they essentially want anyone to be able to do anything at any time and have any of their decisions um, underwritten by the government. That's they you know if you if you if you don't like your parents telling you actually you're a boy not a girl, then you should be able to leave home because you're being oppressed. You know and it's like. Mm -hmm. Is that oppression or is that their parents disagreeing with an opinion they have? You know, I, I really think we're ex extending the definition of the word oppression here. Um, so, but yeah, anyway. You, you make a, I don't know if it's a dichotomy, but it, it seems like you're arguing that continentalism's uh, concept of liberty is, is founded on the escape or the relief from oppression. Uh, and yes. I'm wondering if... If you have this uh, British classical liberalism view that's based on what you term freedom, how does freedom manifest itself and get along with hierarchy? Is hierarchy not a limitation of freedom? Is there not certain foundational uh, well, limitations that yeah. pro provide for greater freedoms that, that it, should come into it's, harmony? It's very clear that in the English conception of these things, um, it's not... Um, it's not very abstract, actually. It's actually very concrete, and it's it's designed purely uh, focused around limitations on government. That's what it's concerned with. But the 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 continental view of liberty has initially began with free, uh, limits on government, but very quickly expanded into. I mean, with the French Revolution, it was all, you know it expressly is a liberal revolution so it's about limits on government. Um, 
but then you move into socialism where it's at now it's economic problems and then you move into what well, uh, fascism where it's the, essentially the entire person and that's a position that's effectively been taken over by the social justice brigade of today every aspect of your identity within sectionality is now something that should be free quote unquote um so it's it is very different to the english conception um so there's definitely a dichotomy there in my opinion how do you create uh, tremendous systems without some form of collectivism, like the internet or roadways or you know the functions right, that be, Google yeah. serves? So the, the collectivism is not groups of people acting in concerts. Collectivism is a term for a specific method of governance. Um, and it's the, the difference is that individualism values the individual above the group and collectivism values the group above the collective specifically the rights of an individualistic society doesn't recognize group rights uh, but it, it might recognize group interests it's not the same thing um and so there's no there's no contradiction with being an individualistic society which essentially means a constitutional society um or an or versus an ethical society um Ethical meaning that the state itself has a moral goal that it is trying to achieve for society. Uh, this it, the fascists wrote in opposition to the liberal society being the constitutional night watchman there to protect your rights to make sure you don't get stolen from or beaten up or whatever. Um, but otherwise, it's not really there to fix your life. That's your job. Um, but the continental model is the ethical society where the state has a role to try and improve you and try and yeah. fix your life. Um, so that's that's the difference. So in an individualist society, obviously, people can cooperate as much as they want, and they will, and they'll form hierarchies, because it's in their nature to do so. They just won't be impeded from doing this unnecessarily by government or forced to do this by government. Um, so that's the difference, really. And why do you think a company like, uh, let's say, YouTube uh, is now... Which, which right. seems to spring up from yeah. certain principles of do-it-yourself and work-together group interests, but is now yeah. going into a top-down. Is there, is there kind of some sort of weird leverage or momentum where these huge groups just inevitably turn into or get captured by uh, those who now, want to dictate ethics? I, I can't say that I'm sure of this for certain, right? So th this is all quite speculative. Because okay, it's not a conspiracy, it's speculation. Yeah, no, 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 no. Like, there's, there's no conspiracy needed. Like, we're, to, we're just talking about the behavior of people, you know, why they behave in the way that they behave. So it's, you know, no, no need for any conspiratorial thinking. Um, but the, I don't think the answer is something anyone has actually nailed down. Um, however, I think that there's a kind of inevitability about the arguments that are made. Um because all, all arguments essentially function in the same way. Conclusions follow from premises. And if it de depending on the way that you define certain things, I think that the, the use of the terms can easily be um, like, like made fluid and made to run into one another. Uh, for example, freedom and liberty. I don't think anyone yeah. really would think of the distinction between the two. They'd use them as synonyms. And so you can launder one idea through yeah. the other if no one is being specific and like careful about these things. equality and equity is a perfect example of that. Precise. And equality itself is a great question because there are so many questions regarding the concept of equality and so many different interpretations. And I exactly, I, it's a word I actually hate using. I'm, 
I would rather use terms like peer or something like that, you know, because we, we can agree that we're all peers without all being equal, okay. you know, at least in material respects. But we might all have the same political rights, which would make us peers, you know. Um, okay. So I, I would prefer to use language like that because it's more specific. It's got a narrower focus on a particular kind, like, you know, yeah. political peerage or something. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the problem is, I think, that this these arguments – Okay, so one of one of the um, one of the differences between English liberalism and continental liberalism, uh, as manifested in the French Revolution, was honestly, I think the lack of material nature of the English um, concern. Uh, the, the sorry, that's not the right way to phrase it. Um, it isn't entirely materialist. For example, um, John Locke, who heavily influenced the Founding Fathers, thought it should be made illegal to become an atheist or to advocate for atheism because he thought it would remove the moral um, underpinning of society and bring us all to chaos. Uh, well, this was actually the so the first sort of thing that the French Revolution did. It persecuted churches. It, it deliberately uh, set up a cult of reason, which Robespierre thought was awful. And then going into the, the communists, 100% materialistic. They do not believe in anything that's not material. Um, and this caused them to have to create... Uh, what was it? Scientific atheism. And they killed something like 20 million Christians on the grand grounds that they were Christian, you know, burned churches and monasteries all across Russia, things like this. So it was a, it was a complete, but the, so that you can see the difference in the English and the continental one immediately, because the English one is predicated on the idea that there is a spiritual aspect to us, you know, and I'm not, I'm an atheist. So I don't believe myself, but like, that's just what they thought. But they, it was predicated on the idea that, look, you will have your own moral guide and it doesn't have to be the government. Um, but when you compress it down to a materialist view where there is nothing other than the, mm. the, you know, the world around us, then the government essentially does become God in that regard because it is the most powerful entity. It lasts through space and time. You know, yeah. it, it's what gives birth to you if it's in control of the entire state, which is what the fascists wanted. You know, so you can you can see the distinction. And I think that, uh, honestly, the, uh, the people are going to crucify me for this, but like, a lack of religion is a problem for English liberalism. It is a problem, you know, you, uh, to not have religious principles, or not just religious, moral principles that exist outside of materialism means that effectively you can't really argue against materialism. And the, I think the, the way we see this reflected in the English-speaking world now is that primarily it seems that our morality is entirely consequentialist and utilitarian, as in we... If, if nobody is apparently hurt, we say that there's nothing wrong with that thing, right? Uh, you can see this in the widespread adoption of uh, an acceptance of pornography. Now, again, I've, I'm one of these people. I'm not against any of these things. But you have to accept that there are problems with pornography. You know, it, it does affect young men. There are studies that show it actually does damage their brains. It causes like erectile dysfunction in young men. You know, if they if they watch porn from like 10 or something onwards and then, you know, they, they get a girlfriend and they just it's not like what they're you know conditioned to accept. There are problems with it. But in the immediate when you're you know, you catch someone watching porn, how do you shame them for that? You know, it's that you you if if. You know, no one appears to be hurt. It all—it all seems to be built on Mill's harm principle, um, and this—this this is why I've—I've I've been talking about the concept of virtue. In fact, because from from the position of a virtue ethicist, there is 
a complaint to that. Is it virtuous to watch porn? No. No one's going to tell you it's virtuous to watch porn. They might say it doesn't matter. You know, they might yeah, say okay. it's morally negative, uh, neutral, but they're not going to say it's good. You know, it's it's probably not good to watch porn. It. Yeah, I, I'm one of those people who thinks that in, in any individual act of watching porn is morally neutral. You know, as long as it's consenting on both sides, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but it's it's not good. You know, I wouldn't want my son to watch porn. I would want him to get a girlfriend and get married and have kids. You know, and, you know. So it's there is there is room to push out the harm principle a bit with virtue ethics, which is I think useful because I think it's the commitment to the harm principle that's allowed the materialists to come in uh, with what they call moral arguments and be very persuasive because we find ourselves with no meat with which to push back because we are no longer religious. Okay, so if... if Okay, let, let's go back to YouTube. So YouTube mm-hmm. is the best. Uh, you know, it's the worst, but it's also the only platform to be on if you want an audience. Yeah. Uh, but it's now taking it upon itself to enforce certain sorts of virtue or to mitigate the harm of certain uh, thoughts, ideas, and uh, uh, realities, personalities, and uh, I guess just information. They want to be able to take that role upon themselves. You're against that, uh, but how do you stop a company from assuming that power? How do you allow for a company like that to rise up and exist in, in like with with competition or whatever it is that makes them what they are and not then turn around and become uh, detrimental to the society that it's lifting up. Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Because uh, I watched uh, an interview with Susan Wojcicki uh, the other day and she, she was saying how she has a duty to force certain kinds of content on people, even though they don't want it. This happened uh, during the Nice attack in 2016, I believe it was, mm-hmm. where in France, localized to that country, um, she had ordered her team that deals with the algorithm in whatever way when breaking news occurs to only promote certain kinds of discussion about that from uh, what we'll just generally term the mainstream media, uh, you know, but to France. Um, and apparently the response from the engineers was, okay, but people don't want this, you know, and they can tell from their metrics, you know, how much of the clip people watch and whether, you know, how they engage with it and stuff. People were annoyed and they would get declining viewer interaction and viewing rates. But she was saying, well, no, I think it's the job of YouTube to essentially make sure that people get this uh, information. Yeah. And so she has taken it upon herself though through no other through no way being elected or anything like this yeah. uh, by any kind of public uh, consent to begin engineering what people can see but the thing is there's a kind of social contract in youtube uh, when it first started uh, it was i mean it was in their slogan broadcast yourself the idea it was it would be just an open platform to people to put their videos on of themselves whatever it was they want to talk about and this would be a way for the world to be able to talk um if you go back on that, especially without telling people, there seems to be something a bit unethical there, doesn't there? Seems to be, you know, you you began this, and she was there at the beginning as well with all of this. She's she's been with them for a long time. I mean, just Google, but she's been involved with this for a long time. But there, there was an understanding that this 
wouldn't be something that would be uh, coercive or subtle or manipulative or anything like that. It was understood to be an open thing. And for a long time, it was. It really was. But of course, this led to political perspectives that are not being very well favored at the moment to rise to prominence because probably there's a kernel of truth in each one that you know pushes mm. the thing up. Mm. Um, I, don't th I don't know what we can do to stop it. To be honest, I don't know what we can do to stop it. It seems that we just need to have a discussion about these things. And Susan does do a lot of interviews, so I'm not saying that she'll never be asked about this or have these ideas put into her head so she can percolate about them and think about them. Okay. But um, no, the, 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 she she does believe that they have an ethical duty. And the thing is that you can make arguments that they do. I mean, you know... <sighs> Well, that you I, could you could you could begin with you could begin with saying well you know people voluntarily use YouTube they they're endorsing her by using her platform and therefore this gives her license or something like this yeah. you know you you could you could make arguments like that but I think they'd be a bit weak um, but there's not really a lot we can do to prevent them from doing this uh, we made a rod for our own backs here really <laughs> but do you think that that they're operating under certain principles that can be challenged by by your principles do you think that you could by indirect means, just by keep on putting it out into the water, keep on arguing for this stuff, change the direction of these huge companies, and there's a lot of them, that are expending their authority. They're, the colleges are expending their accumulated authority by, by cashing out on these really stupid ideas that newfangled <laughs> yes. professors are coming up with or, or yeah. uh, possessed by. Um, do, do you just let those ideas run, run its course and uh, do we do you just keep on playing with the machine inside the machine being oppressed by the machine uh, and by oppressed just i guess cut out from various different monetary sources mm. and 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 uh squelched by it what do you do squelched by the algorithm yeah um well i mean yes all all arguments interface with other arguments so you can you, you can make an argument that would uh hopefully counteract what she thinks and change her perspective um the problem is that I mean, her perspective comes from an enlightenment basis, and so it's difficult for the it's difficult for liberals to be able to argue convincingly against communists. Uh, liberals have to be able to make a firm argument for hmm. the 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 inevitability of hierarchy. But not only that, I think um, the necessity of adversity. I think that's what the liberals have to start making an argument for, because mm. I think that I mean anyone who's who's met a rich spoiled kid will know that these are not very nice people. These are people who you find insufferable. Uh, they're not very considerate of others. <laughs> they're very quick. No, they're, they're very they're very quick to assume that they are right to um, disengage or act out uh, in certain ways because of a. Uh, and uh, they've never had any concern about the reactions of other people. Mummy and daddy will always be there, obviously. The money will always be there. So it doesn't actually matter how anyone else treats them. They are, have always got this secure position to operate from. Um, again, like the, the no necessity in any of these relationships, right? Okay. So there's, you know, the, the, if they're the one hosting the party because they've got the big house, they can act in any way they want because they don't need any of these people. They'll always be able to get more people. Whereas if you're a regular person, you don't have that kind of security. So you've got to be concerned about the people around you. And, you know, this, hmm. the, these relationships become rich because of it, you know, mutual concern. And so, yeah, I think that if, like, if we end up getting to that point, we will create human beings that we don't really like 
you know, we wouldn't like these people. And it's like, okay, well, why would we allow ourselves to be in a situation to create generation upon generation upon generation? Because if you think that the millennials are bad, imagine what they would be like if they didn't have any real problems. I mean, millennials at least have real problems. You know, they, 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 they're hard, struggling to get ahead financially. And I, yeah, they are. You know, they're, they're saddled with huge amounts of debt. Yes, they are. You know, turns out that gender studies degree wasn't as vital as you thought. You know, but imagine if they didn't have any, I mean, but the very least you can say that they've got, they're secure from physical problems. Most physical dangers are not something that they have to worry about. Now imagine if you've got these people who have got no, just no other problems. They're given a thousand dollars every month for no particular reason. You know, there's, <laughs> they just get it. And so now they don't need anyone for anything. Fuck you all. Fuck everyone. You know, watch me on my Instagram getting tens of thousands of likes and, and just, I don't need anyone. You know, it's do we want humanity to become like that? Because I actually really don't. And so essentially we need to start making an argument for, look, you actually need to figure it out yourself. And this is a, a motivating force that makes you a better person. And again, like virtue, it comes back to the things you're doing. You know, the virtue is in a repeated habit. And uh, and I think that that's it, it's not something, again, I've fully fleshed out, but I think it's something that if we're gonna if we're gonna defeat communism and not become a bunch of insufferable communist shit heels until everything collapses, uh, then it's got to be through expecting standards from one another. Were you a communist or had communist leanings when you were like eleven or twelve or sixteen <laughs> or seventeen? No, no, like most people, I was well into my twenties. <laughs> I never, I was never a communist. Um, but Did you get an I, opportunity I, to, to be attracted to it and to grow out of it? I guess that's I was, the question. Yeah, yes. I was never very political, to be honest, when I was younger. Um, in my 20s, like, I, I remember reading about two-thirds of Capital when I was about 24. And I stopped because it was insufferably boring. But I remember going through it and just thinking, well, okay, that seems like a reasonable critique. But the the solutions he's proposing I disagree with. It's, and at the time, I didn't know it, but it, it seems anachronistic now. You know, the, the problems that Marx was facing with capitalism, not unjustified either, um, just don't exist anymore. Capitalism, turns out, is not the monolithic like industrial force that is on the rails and will always do exactly that. No, capitalism is actually very malleable and it, it bends and shifts compared to what we want, actually, which is actually good. You know, you want mm -hmm. something like that that's responsive to change. Um, again, the Marxists see this as weakness, but it's like, no, that's usefulness, you know, that's, that's, that's good. Um, but I, so I, I was, I, I considered myself left wing and I was a fan of like the new atheists and stuff. So obviously religious texts themselves, like, I, there are no religions that stand up to any kind of scrutiny using reason. Um, however, that doesn't mean that our societies and especially our moral structures were built on ideas that were contained within them. Um, so it, it, like it, Dawkins the other day, I think, uh, did say something like, I kind of regret going so hard on Christianity now because it could <laughs> could still have been a bit useful in some ways. And it's like, yes, but I didn't realize that either. You know, I, I didn't think yeah. about it. Um, and it's only in hindsight that these things become apparent, isn't it? Uh, but yeah, I, and so I, was, so I was never really a socialist, but I understood that, you know, I mean, I have been poor. I've been very poor and I've needed to uh, rely on government assistance. So I... When I, you know, job job seekers allowance, it's called in Britain. So, mm. But it was, you know, I was finding a job. I found a job, obviously, and then blah blah blah. Um, so I'm not, 
unsympathetic to that at all. I, I understand that there can there can be a liberal argument, a social liberal argument made for the um, protection of the people who find themselves who you know through no not necessarily any fault of their own, just down on their luck with no one to help and no other options. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can definitely see there being a, a sort of socially conscious argument uh, for that. And I'm not unsympathetic to it even now, but I am unsympathetic to it when it's advanced by a fucking communist because that's not what they want. You know, that's the step. That's the first step into, ah, now we can seize the means of production, comrade. It's like, no, because that's mine. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I made this. You don't get to just take it. Um, Do you th- were you arguing that the UBI would be the death of ambition? I think the slow death of ambition. Hmm. Yeah. Do you think that, that it's yeah. inevitable that you have these, uh, uh, kind of, uh, not necessarily hypocritical, but very ironically, uh, well-off communists, these people who don't have enough necessity and yet want to, uh, you know, redesign, uh, society around, uh, you know, uh, give or take, give or give all kind of, so the, the communists seem to want to unleash the artist and musician and scientist in, in everyone. Um, but they don't really understand that not everyone has an artist, scientist, or um, you know, musician in them. So Some people are not very inclined that way. And if you give people access to all the resources they want, then you're going to give them access to drugs and alcohol and... I hate to say it, but uh, I think a larger and larger percentage of people will simply become addicted to these things. I'm not mm-hmm. like, and I, I, I don't just mean like you know, use occasionally, like have a beer or two once a week or something like that. You know, that's fine. Obviously, you know, all things in moderation. I think, but I think you will increase the number of people who are generally um, harmed by these things. And you will also put them in a position where you don't really have much of a choice, do you? If, like, I, again, I, I this is I have to invoke Aristotle because I really think he's on on the money here. Um, when when he's saying that, look, um, virtue is habituated; it's bred into you. It's what you regularly do. Um, if every day you get up and you you know don't have anything to do, you don't have any need to do anything, you can just go to your you know robot dispensary, get your you know, breakfast for today. And okay, what are you going to do? I might play video games. I might, you know, okay, well, it'll be a nice, relaxing life. But it's not something that anyone's ever going to remember. It's not, you know, I don't think mm. you're going to be striving for increased uh, excellence. I don't think you're going to demonstrate many virtues. And I think mm. that UBI will definitely, definitely incentivize that. I mean, there's probably a, a segment of the population that would, you know, overnight, you know, something like twenty percent of the population would just fall into that category, and I think I myself in my twenties would have been exactly that person. You know, I would have been exactly that person, um, and I think that that percentage will probably grow because, I mean, why wouldn't it? What's the difference? Who cares? What difference does it make? You know, so I think that UBI will be the death of accomplishment, to be honest. But it'll be a slow death. It'll be creeping. And it'll be generation after generation, assuming these people even reproduce, uh, which they're not, you know. So, I mean, I know I mean it. Like, freedom yeah. from everything means freedom from childbirth. It yeah. means freedom from parental responsibility. You can see the way that millennials talk about children is awful. It's absolutely awful. Mm. Like, oh, God, I hate children. I hate children. 
I'm a father. Spend any amount of time around kids. And if you come away saying you hate children, you are a psycho. You are some sort of unempathetic psycho. When a kid, any kid, brings you something, look, oh, I've discovered, and there's joy in their face and they want to share that with you, if you can't find yourself loving kids then, then there's something wrong with you. You know, there's something wrong. <laughs> it's it's what, but what, it's not that they hate kids, though. It's not they hate kids. It's they're afraid of responsibility. That's what it is. They're afraid of having any voice in the back of their head saying, you know what? You might have to have kids someday yourself. Maybe you should have kids. Maybe if you want there to be UBI, if you want there to be universal health care, someone has to create the doctors that are going to be treating you when you're an old lady or whatever. And if not you, then who? Oh, it'll be my neighbor. What if they choose not to? What if their neighbors choose not to? What if we all choose not to? Then... We end civilization. And the thing is, the materialist left can't even argue why that's bad. They can't even argue that the end of their own civilization is a bad thing, you know, because it would it would have to speak to something more noble about the civilization that is in and of itself worth preserving. And that is not a material concept. What, what are we what are we talking about here? You know, nobility, honor, sacrifice, courage. Like you can't have these things in a materialist society. And I think that um I don't think the world is entirely materialist. And, I, and this is from an atheist. Yeah. You know, I don't believe that any of the religions have told us anything about God. And I think that the ontological argument for God is a, is a clever trick. Um, but I do agree that there is something about the human experience that is more than simply the things around you. You know, yeah, how do you, how do you, emotional. Earlier on, in a different conversation, you talked about the idea of reason uh, being able to escape our biology. So you, it seems like there's, under certain circumstances, we are the product of material existence. We are the product of biology. But on another level, we're not. Or we have to not be constrained by that. How do you make that, that leap into this uh, metaphysical world? Hey. I, I don't think that the, me saying that that's their position is not my position. Uh, I, I recognize okay. the contradiction in it as much as you've recognized it. Um, we are not just materialist beings. Otherwise, what, you know, what are you talking about? What, what is this consciousness that you think should have control over everything? I mean, like, look at it, look at it this way, right? So, um, you and I, I imagine both believe that the, the consciousness is a predicate property of the body. So the body is, something that's there the brain is a part of the body and the consciousness is generated by the brain so if there is a problem with the consciousness we would say that is also a physical pro pro problem with the body and therefore it doesn't make sense then to identify a problem with the consciousness and say right okay well we'll impose that way on the body you would say right okay we need to change the body to help the consciousness for example transgenderism now this is going to be a shocking thing to say but i don't understand why we agree that if someone believes that they are a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman's trapped in a man's body that that means give them hormones to change their body to the opposite sex because it strikes me that if i mean like for example one of the one of the one of the interesting things that's been going on at the moment is there have been a lot of effeminate gay men who have been persuaded that they are transgender and I've, I've spoken to many of these myself uh who have come out of this on the other side going no i'm not i i am male i'm a man i'm just gay and i'm effeminate you know i'm, I'm not a woman and so if if taking 
female hormones would make a man feel more like a woman, then taking male hormones would make a man feel more like a man. And so why do we not just at least try when someone says, well, I, I feel like I'm a woman in a man's body. Uh, why do we not jack them that, up with testosterone? Well is that what you're saying? Well, yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Because if it was a woman who felt like uh, she was a man trapped in a woman's body, we'd give her testosterone and she'd become more manly. She'd get all the, uh, mm. all the hair she would then uh, her behavior would change as well and it does because we are biological organisms you know we are not simply just perfect uh, you know perfect mm. wills of reason that just you know we're superior above all material things but yeah i like i said i i don't i don't know why they think this how do you you've decried the loss of religion at least in at least uh Begrudgingly, and uh, yeah. or at least uh, um, Dawkins has. And yes. what do you what do you do then if you if you notice that there needs to be some sort of narrative that ties everybody together, and then that elicits certain virtues and that constellates adversity in a beneficial, productive way? Yeah. You don't have that. You don't have that story because you're no longer allowed to believe in story. You're you're trapped in reason. You're trapped in argumentation. And insofar as and it seems like communists win or, or the continentals win or materialism wins when we're locked into a strictly rational, reasonable debate. They have a stronger exactly. debate. How do you how do you escape it, that? What, what's your trajectory? Is it patriotism? Is it uh, some sort of rhetorical, wow. you know, blaze and meteor meteoric, uh, you know, effulgence? well, I, I think I think you 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 summarized it perfectly there. And I wish I'd used that line at the outset. You're, you're trapped in materialism when you approach things only through reason. Uh, re reason is not the only way to understand things. Obviously, uh, you you can have intuitions and emotions and all these sort of things. And all of these things do exist and they do dictate your life. You know, like Jonathan Haidt's work has been very instrumental in showing that most people, for most people, reason is actually post hoc rationalization of something they have already done. Uh, and it's very difficult to persuade. They, emotionally, they have to be very calm and secure and safe to persuade them of something that is drastically different. You know, that they might have... There's a thing with Susan Majiki. Like, I would probably have to sit down for an evening with her and, you know, have a few drinks, get to know her, and then, look, look, you know, you have to understand where I'm coming from so she can understand that I'm a good faith actor and I'm not trying to hurt people, but I'm actually presenting a different worldview that, you know, th this is why I don't think it's possible this can change. But, um, mm. but yeah, summarizing it as um, reason traps you in materialism, that's true. Being a, And that's not to say that you can't use reason, obviously, uh, but... Putting reason as the only thing that is of any value is a dangerous thing to do. And again, th this, again, is why I'm interested in Aristotle at the moment, because okay. Aristotle is not giving us anything religious. He is not speaking about gods. He is not speaking. And I mean, when he uses the term soul, he means consciousness. You know, he means uh, the, ourselves, the thing that we think of when we think of us, but not our physical bodies. Um, the, the sort of consciousness of a person. And he's direct and practical and isn't just material you know the the doing doing something virtuous is good for its own sake because doing virtuous things is good you know um so you you i i think this is actually a very strong argument against the communists because the outcome of virtue is beauty this is something you, i mean just think about anything think about anything well, we already killed like postmodernism killed beauty so that's off the table right 
well, goodness too. Uh, I mean, how do you how do we how do we get back to like how do you even define virtue? How do we even define uh, virtue? Well, it's uh, that that which is good for human flourishing. Uh, a thing that produces good condition is wholesome. Uh, virtue. I mean, the Aristotelian uh, the Aristotelian view. It's the the intermediate point between excess and defect. Hmm. So, and you'll find that this is the the point at which human flourishing occurs. So, if uh, if you're a, if you're a runner, say you want to you want to be a good runner, uh, you don't go running for fifty miles every single day because you end up shredding your knees or you know, the thighs or something. You know, you end up hurting your legs, so you can't actually run. Uh, that'd be an excessive practice. But then, if you literally never got up and went and practiced, that'd be a deficiency of it. So, practicing, uh, you know, run, run like I don't know, twenty miles a day or something, whatever it is, and then take a day's rest, whatever whatever it is that keeps you in good condition uh, mm -hmm. without damaging you in excess or defect is how we would identify virtue and good condition is something that aristotle thought we were innately programmed to be able to identify because of mm. the the purpose of the thing uh you know you, you can identify a shovel that's in good condition by the fact that it's not broken and you can scoop with it etc etc uh it's all it's all old the way he looks at things it's very old it's not very scientific <laughs> but I think there is an essence of truth in it, which is why he could identify it and just how he categorized it. But the, especially when it comes to virtue, I think that everyone can see someone who is virtuous. And yeah. this is why I think people hate fat superheroes. I don't think people like fat superheroes because the superhero is meant to be like, you know, a big, strong paragon virtue. He does all this able. stuff. And it's like, yeah, able, exactly, competent, capable. And if you look at someone who's fat, I'm, I mean, I'm fat myself, you know, so I speak from a position of knowledge. Uh, you, you're not as capable and you are certainly not as virtuous when it comes to exercise. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, so, I think that there is something in that. But I'm not sure. I'm not saying I've got to the bottom of it yet. Yeah. Well, do you think that the a UBI is there can be like a some sort of restraint on that that allows it to be somewhere between excess and, and a flaw or, or social programs themselves or, or different sorts of uh, content policing policies that are, that do walk the line between excess and, and uh, I, I think, I think there certainly are. Um, I, I think uh, UBI is different as a, as a status to YouTube. Although there's a, there's a part of me that's afraid effectively uh, the future is every single person on earth on social media getting paid by the post on, say, Twitter. So they're financially incentivized to post on the whatever, whatever the uh, the equivalent of Twitter is in the in the far future, <laughs> and that's just human human uh, understanding of the world, matrix style in yeah. this thing. Well, um, we're already now, and there. I, I, I mean, well, thankfully we're not quite there, but we we've got a glimpse of it. I think, and I think that's actually a terrifying future. It's like, God, what a, mm. you know. You don't recognize that as the, the state of a human, the condition of a human. Um, but yeah, I think there is a there is a reasonable um, excess and mean that can be uh, excess and de defect that can be mitigated against, and there should be. You know, things that are illegal, YouTube should police. Um, and they, I think, there can even be an argument for harassment that I think YouTube can police. And I've I've always been accused of this, but I've always said in all of my videos, look, just don't go and talk to this person. They don't want to hear from you. I don't want you talking to them particularly, um, but people, hmm. when they see something that they, on a moral level, fundamentally disagree with, they want to go and give that person a piece of their mind. It's You, you can't stop it. The only way to stop it would be to not talk about the thing, hmm. but I'm not prepared to go that far. Um, so all I can do is encourage people not to do it. But I can understand the argument from the other side because I've had plenty of people who have, especially when I had smaller platforms, you know, who 
would send a lot of people my way. It's not very pleasant. You know, it's not a pleasant thing. I'm not saying it's something you shouldn't be able to handle. You probably should be able to handle it uh, as an adult, you know, who can press the block button or just log off of the internet. Um, But you you have to concede that it's not a very nice experience, and it does happen, uh, even if you're not trying to make it happen, which a lot of people aren't. So I can understand why YouTube would feel that they have a duty to try and do something about this. But the problem is their, their tools are really quite limited. If people are allowed to talk about subjects, well you've got to expect that there are going to be people like, well, I can watch this video. Well, I watched it, right. I can log on to Twitter. Yes, I can do that. I can send this tweet. And it, the tweet might not even be a tweet that violates the rules, just like, you're an idiot. I disagree with you firmly. And if you get, you know, 50,000 of these, maybe you will be going, Christ, you know. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all quite amplified, you know. And yeah. uh, But, I mean, it's all part of a social mechanism that's just designed to make you think about what you've done. But when you, I can see the argument, I'm not, again, I'm not saying I agree with it, but I can see where they're coming from. So, um, a social mechanism to make you think about what you've done. Could you, could you expand on that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the way society polices itself. It's the kind of, um, okay. Yeah. Organic. The, the, the way, mob, the, you know. the, 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 the cancel. Not necessarily crew, the mob. No. Okay. But just, yeah. I, I wouldn't call it the mob. Uh, I mean, for example, if you're in a pub, and you, you, you're just sat there with your friend, and you can hear two other people uh, who, who are, I don't know, talking about the Holocaust or something, you know, and they're, they're like, yeah, one of them, you know, they're both agreeing that, yeah, yeah, it didn't happen, and actually Adolf Hitler was great. You might feel morally obliged to say, hey, look, I don't mean to interrupt, but you're wrong on this, and Adolf Hitler was awful. You know, let me explain why. And they've got to kind of expect that if they're going to if they're going to be voicing these opinions in a public place that there are going to be people who feel obliged to at least comment on it or something like that and i think that's totally fair and i think that's the way that society regulates itself and like you know transmits ideas and figures out which ones are good and bad and things like this and this seems to have been amplified with social media so when you've got you know, something like a million twitter followers yeah you're going to get the same effect but not just one guy going up to two guys in a pub and going, you're wrong, I hate you. Uh, it'll be millions yeah. of people saying this, you know. Um, so, yeah. How, how have you navigated that? That uh, I mean, you started small, and, and you're not small anymore. And were there, was that a learning curve? How do you, how do you maintain integrity to yourself, uh, not be captured by your audience? And then how do you take responsibility for your audience, too? Like, what are some of the things that you've had to wrestle with? Well, the thing is that there's a very contentious thing because I don't know what I don't like making the audience's reaction the responsibility of the content creator Uh, because by this standard, then like the Young Turks have caused police (laughs) shootings, and I don't want to lay police shootings at their feet. It seems unfair because I'm sure if if you ask them, they'd be like, "No, I don't want people to shoot police." I was like, "Okay, maybe you should consider your rhetoric." Then I suppose. it's it's and the thing is what when we do that we assume that the person who has actually watched the media and then acted is not themselves a moral agent yeah they don't make any decisions they are an automaton that has been programmed to go and do x that's not the case you know we have to treat people as if they're moral agents because they are moral agents otherwise we're going to be treating them as if well yeah uh, effectively okay yeah i'm not i'm not i i'm i'm coming at it from a different angle i'm not coming at it from how should you be shamed for what somebody else does but you, no, no, no. As a moral I, I know, agent, you, you have the power. 
your your words are multiplied exponentially. I, I'm sure none of us could imagine the number of people who like really imagine like like the power that your words have because yeah. of your platform. So how do you how do you navigate internally uh, that that responsibility and and how is that kind of changed or caused you to even uh, reassess your values to make them more stable? Has has that occurred? Oh, I, like the. I mean, the whole thing has been a strange journey. Uh, I didn't realize how much I didn't know when I started. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't realize how much I'd have to study uh, to get to this point. And I'm, I'm not nearly near the end either, okay. I can tell. Um, but the, the question of not being captured by your own audience is an interesting one. And I think that this is something that a lot of people have problems with. Because having constant... Um, positive feedback mm -hmm. really does distort your opinion of yourself and so you are in many ways obliged to watch criticisms of yourself if you mm -hmm. want to maintain a neutral or balanced not even neutral just a balanced perspective um so this is obviously yes exactly but this this can be quite difficult because uh youtube is a performance piece it's a spec it's a sport uh, when when you're doing these things and so people's mm. responses to you can be quite aggressive and doubtless i'm sure i've done my yeah. fair amount of aggressive responses um like i said i'm not saying i'm perfect or i've you know i've always been virtuous or anything of the sort um this is just something i've come to understand appreciate the value of uh, yeah. in my time doing this um, do you think that that it's always a sport or that's just how that's even where you even for the people even for the people who are saying it's not a sport, it's a sport. Um, they just play it in a different way to the people okay. who make it obvious that it's a sport. Um, it's because uh, huh. I always, I always hated these channels that were called like, um, uh, you know, sort of like, um, you know, New York Libertarian. You know, if I, if I started a channel, New York Libertarian or something like that, you know exactly what you get from me. You know, libertarianism in a New Yorker accent. But it also means that once I've got like 100,000 subscribers, I can't change my mind. <laughs> like, I, I'm stuck with that, aren't I? Okay. You know, you've, you've got to be a libertarian because you've committed to it as the platform that, that you've built. And uh, your audience will react very negatively if you're not reinforcing what they already believe in this regard. Yeah. And then everyone, everyone knows that each sort of... Um, any, even things like fandoms, you know, these, these things become... Uh, in some way ideological you know in some way there becomes a consistency of view that you rely upon and you go to because you want to have something of yours confirmed probably yeah. um so it's it it becomes some audiences can very easily trap people but it's when you start losing your connection to reality that is when you i think you start failing i think that that's when things start going wrong. And eventually you'll see like, you know, two or three years down the line, these people have, you know, shrunk, you know, shrunk oh, okay. because yeah. what they're saying doesn't reflect reality. It doesn't resonate with people. Yeah. It doesn't resonate. Um, yeah. And so what, one thing that I always tell people if it's say in politics, um, in the, in the realm of politics, one thing I always tell people is watch people you don't like, which means I have to watch. God, I have to watch so much crap I hate. Like, I don't watch the Young Turks anymore. I, I, so I've, you know, I've got like a selection of like, you know, centrist commentators, right wing commentators, left wing commentators. And I, I always recommend like the same like three or four people on each category. So I'm like, look, just, hmm. you know, if you want to find out, like, 
and they, they, the individual matters as well. Like some people will do a better job of covering X kind of topic than others. So this is why you want to keep a collection of them. Like if I if I want to know um, what Donald Trump has done wrong, I'll go to someone like Ben Shapiro because Ben Shapiro personally, you can tell he hates Donald Trump. However. He also hates the Democrats. And so, you know, if and, and this is why I like is, you know, there's good Trump and there's bad Trump. It's like, good. You know, Ben Shapiro has been mm. dealing with Donald Trump for long enough to be able to give him a fair hearing if he does something right. Um, it's difficult. Even people like, you know, David Pakman, who are the most sort of like rational of the left wing commentary channels, even they struggle with that. Um, but, yeah, the, keep a, keep an array of different kinds of content creators and don't always watch the same one even if you personally really like their delivery just find someone you can tolerate and watch them even if they say things you disagree with it's okay for them to disagree with you it's okay for you to disagree with them you know remember that you're just that's their view when you hear it and then that's it mm. you just considered it that's all it seems that that there are conditions under which you can uh, facilitate your own change of mind, or let's say a plasticity of opinion. Uh, and and it seems like one way or another, reality is going to catch up to you. So if you put your if if you try to have a, a, a as broad a spread as possible on on what you're dealing with, you'll be able to catch yourself. You know, so so at least your hands hit the floor before your face does in in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, it. It's for your own good that you understand and engage with the criticisms of you and not, and the subject that you're interested in. So you're po- political then. You, you said in your 20s you weren't necessarily political. Now, now you're pretty political. You ran for office and stuff. What else is there for you? Like, like do you think that, that – what's, what's behind that? What's, what's next? What's underneath that? Or, or is, this, is this the final form? Uh, and, and, um, so I sub- oh well, no, I don't. I don't think anything's our final form. That's that's the thing. I think uh, you're a you're a, you're a, you're a thing in motion. You're constantly in process, and it's up to you whether you get better at that or worse at that. It's mm. your actions that will determine that. Um, I've been working very hard, so hopefully I've been getting better. Um, I suppose that when I'm when I'm finished figuring all of this out, <laughs> um, I'll probably I'll probably have to write a book at some uh-huh. point. Uh-huh. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I, I just w- wish we understood ourselves better, which is something that's really frustrating that we don't. Um, there's an awful lot of uh, orts that have been layered on society over the isses, and they contradict. And it's yeah. one of those things that they really don't want to talk about. I mean, the 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 premier example is probably Charles Murray who's a libertarian who wrote a book called The Bell Curve. Uh, I haven't read it myself, so I'm only reading second-hand accounts. Uh, It's one of those things I'll get to, I'm sure. But I think it's chapter six is regarding race and IQ. Now, the, the theme of the book is to question how we are going to prevent ourselves from becoming stratified by IQ. So there'll be a group of people who essentially aren't able to reach the upper echelons of society because the smartest people, scientists, you know, doctors, lawyers, etc., they're the ones who occupy those. So he's worried that there'll be an intellectual caste system or something like that, I think, as I understand it. And if you believe in evolution and you believe that the brain is an organ, a physical part of your body, and you believe the consciousness is generated by the brain, then there is an evolutionary pressure and aspect to our consciousness. 
Mm-hmm. That's necessarily true. That has to be true. Can't get away from that. And, and intelligence Charles Murray, is something that was selected for over time. Yes. In certain yes. environments and maybe not in others. I, I, I mean, I personally can't see what environment you wouldn't benefit from an increase in intelligence in. Right. So it's it's it seems to me there's always going to well, be I mean, some sort Instagram of Instagram is a great uh, example of an environment where All right, you got me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the real world, <laughs> you, know, you know, like it, uh, if, if you're hunting, hunting, you know, animals in Africa or if you're hunting them in North America or Europe, it's still useful to be intelligent, isn't it? You know, it's always it's always going to be uh, something that you would think evolution would select for. But I mean, I guess there are maybe, you know, different environments for that have plenty in and some environments that, have, that don't that maybe make it more difficult and you have to be smarter who knows right yeah and i'm, I'm not saying that this it, the, the, the problem as well is that this is there's a value judgment that is locked up in the statement that there has to be evolutionary pressure on the brain i mean it's just we know that's the case we know that's that we've seen pre-human ancestors we know how the brain has changed you know we know that the different quality of our food, like cooking food, allows us to get more of the energy out of it because we more nutrients out of it because we spend less energy from our own body to process it. That's the point of cooking it, you know, is to break it down in advance of us eating it. You know, so we know that there's been an evolutionary change because of that. You know, fire allows us to have these big brains, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay, great. So, you know, we accept that the brain is an organ, but as soon as you say there might be a difference because of heredity, that's verboten you, you can't say that because then you've contravened the reason position which is all human beings are exactly the same at least in principle on paper the blank slate theory is just not true it was first advanced i think it was by Locke, and it is just not true stephen pinker wrote a book all about it it's just like this mm-hmm. there are definitely hardwired uh instincts in a person's head in fact it wasn't hardwired to use it's something like um like a first draft there's definitely a first draft of our instincts, but this can be re, re, rewired mm-hmm, by mm-hmm. training and habituation and teaching and things like this. Um, and so humans aren't just blank slates. We know that IQ is heritable between children and parents. And so the idea that like he can't even talk about that, you know, is concerning. And it's, uh, and uh, you know, it, to me, it doesn't matter. You know, it's not a moral judgment. It's, you know, I, I, I've never made any kind of moral judgment about someone because of their intelligence. You know, it's it's not that it's not under their control. So it's, and it doesn't change the human rights. It doesn't change. You know, we don't hire people based on IQ. You know, we don't we don't do anything because of the metric of IQ. And yet it's become forbidden because not because what we would do with it, but because of what it signifies it just signifies that the left wing reason based narrative is just not accurate. And we can't have that. How how do you convince people that are true believers that their belief in whichever spaghetti monster it is mm. is fallacious? Uh, have you have you developed tools I don't think of you can convince a true believer? No, that's the point. They, their positions usually founded on faith, isn't it? But hopefully, you can persuade other people who are watching and uh, see them find themselves trapped in a position that's inescapable. Oh, but okay. uh, that's yeah. That, that's the that's the eternal question, isn't it? How do you persuade mm. someone of your own position? It's uh, it's it's not something I'm necessarily an expert on. Do you think that um, is your position on this? Might sound completely out of the blue, but uh, mm-hmm. is your position on Brexit because of this underlying values between uh, what you 
say, is English values and the continental values? Do you think that it's just a fundamental cultural uh, impossibility think, um, for the, that country and, and Europe to be wet? I think it probably is. I think it probably is ultimately because of that distinction. But that wasn't the initial... Uh, that, that's not yeah. the immediate reason for it. I mean, personally, I don't agree that the European Union is a democratic entity. Uh, I think that sovereignty should be held in an accountable state where we can vote for the legislators. Uh, because we're the ones who are supposed to create the laws. Who, uh, the, you know, we're supposed to be the origin of the laws and the, the sovereignty. Therefore, then we should have direct access to people who make laws. Um, in the European Union, you don't. It's all. It begins with the Commission. They're the only part of the European Union that can propose laws, and they aren't elected by the people. Therefore, uh, to me, that's wrong. Are they wrong, appointed by some sort of divine right ceremony? Or? No, I, I can't remember exactly how it's done, but they, there's a committee or something that appoints them. I can't. But the, the, the point is they somehow find their role, and I didn't cast a vote for them, so I don't care. It doesn't matter how. You know, that's the legitimating factor, in my opinion. Um, but also the, the worldview is very much top-down, bureaucratic, systemic. You know, we can, if we just have enough control... We can fix everything. It's like, maybe you could, but I don't want you to have control over me. Let's just assume you could do this. I don't mm. care. I want to be the one who decides whether it's good for me to do X, Y, or Z. You know, it's my choice. It's not your choice. I'm not, you know, giving it away. And that was primarily the response from me. And I think, but I think underlying it instinctually in the sort of lizard brain, and it, it is primarily of the English as well in this case. It was the English. If you look at like you know what what locations of the UK voted for Brexit, England is just leave. It's just a leave area, mm. um, apart from the you know certain uh, large cities. Uh, but the the majority of England just wanted to leave, and it is it. I would say that this is probably an expression of the dichotomy between England and the continent in the way that they think. I think it is an underlying value. Yeah, I think and it is the underlying. And do you, do you think that those are always going to be at odds? Do you think that there's a, a meeting point where you began speaking about Platonism and, and the Aristotelian way of viewing the world? Is there a way to get back to a belief system that, that reinforces a behavior? Is there is there some sort of magical feedback? Well, you you can. You, there, are, there are people who have tried to synthesize them. I mean, you've got lots of attempts, but yeah. I mean, like... Kant and Mill were both trying to synthesize the two perspectives. And I'm not saying there is no view for Plato, because, I mean, the problem that Aristotle has is systemic injustice. There is such a thing as systemic injustice. I mean, Aristotle wasn't a liberal. You know, he was he, he was in favor of slavery. He was in favor of censorship. He was in favor of a bunch of things that I, as a liberal, I'm like, no. You know, that's government intervention that they don't have a right to do. But he didn't have the liberal framework to work from. Um, so there, there, there are there are methods of synthesizing these things together. Um, the problem is, is that they in 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 your political in the current political climate, like going forward now, yeah. are you just always going to be arguing against this other position? Is there any way to instead well, of getting them to agree with you or change their mind to show how they are actually heading in you, the you, same direction? I, I'm sure. I'm sure that you can absolutely persuade anyone. But if you're not heading in the direction of communism, which I think continental philosophy is, hmm. then anything you say is going to be, as they view, something like reactionary. They're going to be like, "Well, you're you're arguing from tradition." Well, 
maybe sometimes when it's appropriate <laughs> you know not always but sometimes some arguments can come from tradition can't they i mean why not you know what what why is it that some cultures can and other cultures can't you know why is it that you know this the, this newly discovered amazon tribe oh look at their sacred rituals okay well in britain we've got a bunch of silly sacred rituals that came from the ancient past um it's part of the british character and identity mm -hmm. can we have those no because there's no reason for it it's like the reason is just that we've always done it. I mean, it sounds like a an asinine reason, but it, it, and then, no, but it, 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 things have been built on top of these reasons, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you, if you want the things that are built on top of them, you have to continue the tradition, even if the tradition is silly. You know, do it with a bit of uh, irony if you have to. <laughs> but it's still probably good to have the thing done. You know, it creates a kind of order. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that these the, the, this is the reason the the left is so revolutionary. Anything that's created that isn't justified by reason must be leveled. It's it's got to be eradicated because it'll be f unjustified tyrannical oppression in some regard to the communist. Mm -hmm. But I don't agree that what they consider oppression is necessarily oppression. I mean, I think we have different definitions of these things, um, and so essentially the the Enlightenment is probably going to have to figure out a way of coexisting with the uh, and the the advantage of tradition is that tradition deals uh, very much with the human animal deals very much with what people do their bodily you know like motions the the things that they have actually accomplished and mm -hmm. so it, it's it's very it's a, it's evolutionary in and of itself. That's the thing. Tradition is evolutionary. It has evolved out of the past to solve problems that have come up. And these problems have been solved, which is how we've gone further. Mm -hmm. um, and then you get reason that looks back and goes, well, I don't understand how this solves all these problems. Get rid of it, you know, and sweep it all away. This is why reason, reason, well, like, this is where revolutions come from, really. Like, look at most, most other, most revolutions throughout history haven't really been what we would consider to be revolutions mm. uh, uh most like you know a province revolting from an empire is not ideological it's just the desire for ethnic self-determination which is something that we grant you know is mm. we, we we it's a given yes of course you know the polish should be you know we, the poles should be able to elect a polish person to run poland of course a german should be running germany you know uh, no we don't even think about it twice right um it's it's very it's and Prior to the Enlightenment, like you, these these sort of revolutions uh, were religious. You know, it's about theological differences. Um, but the Enlightenment has made these political differences and made these radical as well. Like the the communists and the fascists want genuinely radical change. And I I mean I don't want to just say well I'm a traditionalist because I'm not really like. <laughs> like I mm -hmm. I would be ironically a traditionalist I guess and an yeah. ironic. Unironically ironic traditionalist. Um, yeah. But I think there is some value in the traditional things that we did, and I do think they grant the character of the thing as well. And I don't like the idea of getting rid of, say, in my case, the British character. So we have to accept that that comes from the British tradition. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to become communists and just sweep it all away, then we lose all that. And I think that is a shame. because so I think there is something valuable in it, and I don't want to lose it. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the current communist uh, movement, uh, I mean, as shown by the Bernie Sanders movement and uh, 
different uh, aspects of the political left in America, different organizations going in this direction. Do you think that's going to burn itself out? Do you think that it, it it's kind of just expending fuel? Can it can it stably kind of take over the country, or can it just hobble? Uh, it won't be like, able to win elections yet. Um, they, I think that the the left has been essentially subversive. I can't think of a better term than subversive. Um, the just, amount labor the, the, lost pretty hardcore a few months ago. So oh, staggering, staggering. Yeah. Um, they seem they to have, have doubled down in their rhetoric, at least from what yeah. I've seen. But I'm not. Too well, the, the the thing is, they have arguments that are persuasive in a group setting. So the hmm. the argument itself isn't necessarily persuasive, but it's aggressive and. Uh, it it uses uh, thought terminating cliches to essentially put you in the shame box. So in a public gathering, no, oh god, I don't want to be that person who's being called a racist, and therefore, but that doesn't translate to the ballot box because people are not actually persuaded by this; they're just mm-hmm. cowed into submission by this. And so then they go and vote with their conscience uh, and how they believe. And it doesn't matter if a if a leftist could describe this as, as somehow shameful they're still going to do it because it's what they believe. Um, so I think that the, the left essentially uh, shot its load too early. It thought that it had the monopoly on moral thoughts that it appeared to have in the media. It appeared to oh, have yeah. in the governments, you know, cause all of, all of our, all of our institutions are leaning towards the left um, because it wins these arguments in the public square and it wins them through, the shaming of people, the shutting down of things through political correctness, um, and, and forms of collectivism, yeah, well, yeah, collective yeah. reinforcement, I guess, of, of these positions. Then, uh, yeah, well, it, not just not just that. Like, um, if if you declare yourself to be the anti-racist crusader, yeah, uh, it's 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 very easy for you to be associated with anti-racism even if you're actually a massive racist yourself it doesn't matter the person you're pointing at de facto becomes the racist and therefore nobody wants to be trapped in that position and so it's easy for people to just genuflect and you'll see this with like you know people writing checks to like the adl and stuff like this oh what happened were you accused of something on social media that's 50 grand gone you know it becomes a bit like a racket (laughs) Um, but i think they i think they i think they overestimated their own influence i think that they thought they had a bigger vote share than they did and it turns out that actually the traditionalist vote share has a much bigger block in britain anyway and i think that's probably going to be the same case in america i'm actually gutted it's not bernie sanders as the nominee because i think bernie's gonna get absolutely crushed if he were the if he were the guy he like he's supported too many communist regimes for i think uh, americans in particular to vote for him i think american boomers and go look at bernie sanders and go (laughs) no uh, you know, you you, you know they they'll sign up to uh, the Ronald Reagan slogan of "Make America Great Again." I think, um, yeah. If if the if the left disappeared tomorrow, would you end up kind of distancing yourself from the right? Do you think that there needs to be some sort of political dichotomy in in the large sense of the term, a, a spectrum? And can we make this the last question? Is that all right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we should wrap up. Thank you. It's getting no. on. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. I I think. Uh, ultimately, the left, I don't think, can disappear. Uh, it, it's always going to be with us in some form. 
because it's an outgrowth of Enlightenment thought, which is an outgrowth of the English-speaking world, and therefore we were probably on rails that will eventually get us to that point regardless. We've got to essentially um, mm. synthesize out of it that which is true into what we already had and then carry on that way. Um, I don't think it can disappear, and I don't think that any political view has such a comprehensively uh, correct view of reality uh, that it won't end up generating its own antithesis from the things that it fails to observe. Uh, you know, for example, a co like communist taking over is going to spawn a liberty movement, you know, libertarian movement that wants constitutional government and personal freedom and all this sort of stuff, because communism doesn't account for the natural desire to have those things. And so those people who feel oppressed by not having those things are forced to coalesce into a political movement to have their grievances addressed or get shot and gulagged, however it goes. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, th there is always going to be this kind of royal of new mm -hmm. ideas, new desires, and new problems because of the current order. But hopefully we can keep it on a manageable level uh, so we don't all <laughs> end up in a giant civil war and the boogaloo arrives and, yeah. you know, then, then the communists get what they deserve. <laughs> as do we, whether we deserve it or not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, liberals get the bullet too, as uh, a communist famously wrote on the wall of Berkeley University during the Antifa riots there. Liberals get the bullet too. Yeah. Proto-fascists, we all know that. Yeah, well, fascists came out with socialists. What do you expect? Well, thank you so much, Carl, for your evening time. This is a great delight, and thanks for letting me speak with you and pick your brain about oh, this stuff. My, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. And like I said, a lot of what I've said is not fully finished. Uh, it's just what's the, just the way I've been understanding things uh, recently. It's not perfect, and I'm doubtless going to revise this in the future. But I think I've got a few points hammered home that I think I can yeah. be sure of. And, uh, I appreciate yeah. hearing the the not just the finished thought, but the way that somebody's wrestling with it. That's that's more yeah. alive to me than than yeah, the, yeah, the me too. Me too. So this is why I do stuff like this, you know, because it's, it's fun, even if I'm not you know writing a treatise or something. It's, <laughs> it's you know, but uh, no, thanks thanks for inviting me on. This has been really good fun. Excellent, thank you, thank you. Have a good night. I will. Thanks very much. Cheers. All right, ciao. Congratulations for reaching the end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this product, consider donating to this channel via paypal.me slash Benjamin Boyce or joining me on Patreon. Also follow me on Twitter at Benjamin A. Boyce. Have a good night.